I feel really expectant. Um, I really believe that this morning that God wants to bring us closer to him and for us to experience more of his presence. Um, But I feel like this is a morning of freedom. Because there's things sometimes that hold us back from entering in. And I feel like God wants to free us of some of those things this morning. So I really, I'm going to pray in a moment. And I just really want us to allow our hearts to really be open to God this morning. Really be open to his spirit. I want us to be expectant and let hope arise. So let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. That you, you call us your, your children, that you have adopted us and called us your own. Thank you that you have entrusted us with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And thank you, God, that we have the privilege of hosting your presence in our lives, not just on a Sunday, but every day, God. And I feel so aware, Lord, that there are times in my own life and probably times in all of our lives where uh, there is a greater measure that is out there, but there are things that hold us back. And Father, I pray that this morning is a time of revelation God, that we can see some of the enemy's tactics to pull us back rather than moving us forward, God. And Father, we want to be as wide open to you as possible, God. We want you to fill us to the greatest measure. But Lord, we also know that sometimes there are things in our lives, God, that that um, yeah, that they hinder us from hosting you. They hinder us from moving forward in you. And God, I pray that this morning, God, that we'd be able to let go and get rid of some of those things, God, so that we can live more intimately and more powerfully and more closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, um, Pastor Sylvester, he kicked off this series, this OC40 Days of Hosting the Presence of God. And he spoke about authority and how, the, um, how God, he gave us authority since the beginning of humanity, actually. He gave authority, but in the Garden of Eden, right, it was messed up. But Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, he gave the keys of authority back to humanity. And now it's our mandate to carry the presence of God and to help people and to help to see people be saved and freed and see cities and nations come under the rule of God. And obviously, this isn't something that we do on our own, right? This is something that we've been commissioned to do, to host God's presence and to release it to those around us. So we need to stay conscious that we serve and we love and we invite the God of the impossible to move through us. It's never our own in our own strength that this is done. It's with his by his king or sorry, by his presence, his kingdom is released. And so, like I said, this morning we're going to be talking about one of the main things um, that often or the main lies, one of the main lies that often hinders us from hosting more of the presence of God, but also just hinders us from moving forward in our relationships with God. It hinders us from releasing God's love and God's light to those around us. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the lie of insignificance. So insignificance is defined as a lack of importance. For something to be insignificant, it means it just basically doesn't matter very much. For someone to feel insignificant, it means that they don't know or they don't believe that they have value. 
Now, I'm guessing that some of you might be thinking, what does it matter if I don't think that I'm important? Or maybe others of you are thinking, isn't it good to think of myself as humble and not think of myself too highly? And I want to be clear here that humility is not the same thing as insignificance. Humility is relying on God. It's not a self-reliance. Humility is listening to the words of God about, our, about who we are rather than having a self-proclaimed importance. Humility is having God-confidence rather than self-confidence. And humility never devalues us or places little value or worth on us. So humility and believing that you're insignificant, those are not the same things. Because actually God never says that we are insignificant. He actually says just the opposite. He's placed incredible value over our lives. He believes that each one of us is significant. He created us with value. Psalm 139 verse 13 says that he knew us when we were being formed in our mother's wombs. Before the rest of us, you know, could see even know who we were or know who the child was in that, in that mom's womb. God knows. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, a verse so many of us are, are familiar with. God, he's set plans and purposes for us in our lives. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 talks about how Jesus or God sent his son to die so that we could be reconciled to him. It talks about how God wants relationship with each one of us. And then 1 John 3 verse 1 says that he identifies, God the Father identifies us as his children whom he lavishes his love on. So God, he loves us with an always and never-ending love. And do you know, when you love something, we all know this, it's because you th see that thing as being valuable. The thing that you love or the person that you love, you see them with value. You see them as being important. You love them because of that. And God, that's how he sees us, as incredibly important. And I think we see this story actually woven throughout the whole Bible. Ever since the fall in Genesis, like I said before, and like Pastor Sylvester touched on last week, that God has been working to bring humanity back to him since the fall back into relationship with him. And he does this again because he sees that we're worth it. He desires close relationship with us. So the old, throughout the Old Testament, we see God putting in place judges, priests, prophets, kings to speak to God's people to say, come on, bring, come back, come back to me. And not just to his own people, the Israelites, but even they're supposed to demonstrate so much of who um, God has created them to be that they're supposed to call even those, even the foreigners, even all those around him, back to him. God wants relationship with everyone. So we see that. And then Jesus came and he taught time and time again about the great love of the Father and how he's like a shepherd that will go out and he'll find the one that's lost. Or he's like the father of the prodigal son that will wait for you until you realize what you need in life. And Jesus demonstrated that he'll use tax collectors or he'll use fishermen to expand the kingdom of God and that he's interested in the lives of prostitutes and lepers. And I think Jesus showed through his words or demonstrated with his words and his actions that no matter who you are 
or where you've come from, God says you have worth. And God says you have value. And then Paul and John, they go on to talk about that great lavish love of God, the unending love, the the love that caused the Father to adopt us and call us his own. So really from the start of the Bible to the end of the Bible, we see great, God's great love for humanity. And like I said before, when you love something, it's because you see that that thing or that person has value. And as if that wasn't all enough, God's also entrusted us with his Holy Spirit, a very part of himself to live in us. Isn't that interesting? I've never thought of that before, a very part of God to live inside of us. And with that power, with the Spirit living in us, he's commissioned us to co-labor with him to expand the kingdom of God. So we're part of God's plan to love the lost and bring them back into, hum- back into relationship with God. So he's designed us to know who we are as his kids and co-laborers so that from a place of being rooted in acceptance and love, we can then go out and expand his kingdom. So we're significant. One, because he just says we are. He created us with value. And the second, because we're actually part of God's plan to bring humanity back into relationship with him. That's truth. That's who God says we are. But do you know what? Insignificance is a lie. Insignificance is a lie. Remember, insignificance insignificance says you don't have value. You don't matter very much. It says you don't have worth. And do you know, at the core of who we are, many of us actually believe that. We struggle to see ourselves or treat ourselves as somebody who carries worth or value. And I think many of us struggle with this lie of insignificance for two reasons. One is because of words that people, other people have spoken over our lives or the way that we've been treated by others. Many of us, we've had very negative words spoken over our lives or um, been treated very badly by people around us. And you know what? The enemy, he loves to leap on those words and leap on those, spe- those experiences and then speak a word into your heart of insignificance. He says, this is who you are, unlovable, unworthy, valueless, unimportant. He says, you don't matter. The enemy says, you aren't enough. And you know, many of us, we try to be like somebody around us, like other people. Because, you know, at the core of who we are, we feel like we're just not enough if we're just who we are. And, you know, listening to this lie of insignificance, it can make us feel so empty, so hopeless, so depressed. It can make us battle with insecurities and fear and isolation and a deep amount of discouragement. And, you know, when we make agreement with this life's insignificance, it's like we are standing with it. And we say, I agree with you, live insignificance, rather than the words of the Father over my life. It's like standing with it. And do you know, this is actually sin. 
It hinders our relationship with God. It might not seem overtly like sin, like murder or like theft. But it we are compromising who God has said that we are, the word of God over our lives. And when we aren't listening to the word of God over our lives, that means that we're listening to somebody else's. That's often the enemy's. And you know, actually, if we agree with that, we're being deterred from, we're coming away from what God has called us to do and from who he says we are. And we all, like I said a few times already, we all have significance in God. And when we discover who God has made us to be, do you know, it's, uh, we're going to not want to be like other people so much. Because like I said before, often many of us, we feel like we're not enough just who we are. But when we learn that who we are is loved and accepted by the Father, we don't try to be like other people because we feel like we're enough. We feel like we're good. We're full of the, God's presence and, who, and his love. And so we stop trying to be like other people because we can live more fully who God created us to be. And the second reason why I think many of us struggle with this live insignificance is because Satan keeps, us, keeps reminding us of our past and our sins and our mistakes. Satan loves when we are sin conscious, when we are continually reminded of our mistakes. Again, this makes us feel unlovable, unworthy, and valueless. Because we begin to beat ourselves up, right? The words in our head are, why can't you do that? Why can't you just stop doing that? Why did that happen? You know, shame on you for doing that. Oh, and you just feel this heavy weight. And th this is different from conviction, right? This is the, the weight of feeling like all you can think about is all those things that you did wrong. And the heaviness that comes in your heart. Sin consciousness brings so much, such a sense of shame. And therefore, we feel so valueless inside of ourselves. But actually, God, Jesus, he destroyed, he destroyed the sin, right? He forgave us of our sin, but he actually destroyed the sin and he destroyed the record of it. Colossians 2 verse 13 to 14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge, that's the record of it, of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that powerful, right? That's what Jesus did for us. He took care of the sin and the record of it. It's gone. It's done. And yet, when we listen to the enemy about, that keeps reminding us about our, our past sins, it's like we're believing that that sin still exists. Jesus tore it up. It's done. And yet we're saying, oh, no, it's still around. Oh, I still can't move further than that. Oh, I'm still feeling the weight of that. And it's like we're believing a lie because in Jesus' mind, it's done. It is done, and the enemy loves when we live our lives so conscious of this sin, believing these lies, because it makes us feel like we, like I said before, worthless, like we don't have value. And it's like we begin to empower the lies of the enemy when we keep listening to these things. 
And true repentance releases true forgiveness. But if we keep revisiting our past, we are empowering the lie. And it's really hard to move forward in our relationships with God when we keep looking back at all of our past mistakes. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to be disciplined in our minds and not entertain condemning thoughts from, from, the, um, from the liar. Because our past doesn't define us, right? God does. It's not our past that says who we are. We, who we are is the words of what God has said we are. And I think that we need to be proactive in renewing our mind and being in agreement with God and who he says we are. And like I said before, God actually thinks really well of us, right? And having a renewed mind isn't having a self-confidence. It's having a confidence in, in belief and, sorry, it's having a confidence that Jesus accomplished what he did on the cross, taking care of our sin. And it's having a confidence in who God says we are. I saw a story on, um, on social media last week. Can you show the picture of the car? That um, I thought sort of demonstrated worth and value um, really well. The story went like this. It said, a father said to his daughter, you graduated with honors. Here's a car, this car, that I acquired many years ago. It's several years old. But before I give it to you, take it to the used car lot downtown and tell them I want to sell it and see how much they offer you. The daughter went to the used car lot, returned to her father and said, they offered me $1,000 because it's pretty dusty and very well used. The father said, take the car to the market. The daughter took the car to the market, returned to the father and said, the guys in the market only offered me $100 because it's so dirty and it's been misused. The father said to his daughter, go to the car club and show them the car. The daughter took the car to the club, returned to her father and said, some people offered me $100,000 for this car because it's a Nissan Skyline R34, an iconic car that's sought after by many. The father replied to the daughter, the right place will value you in the right way. And I thought, this story just demonstrates this so well, right? Because those around us, they might be kind of like the used car lot, right? In, in this story. They say, you're all right. You're a bit dusty. So people around you, they kind of say, you're worth like $1,000, right? And we take that into our hearts and we think, this is who I am, right? This is who I am. People around me say this, so, th so this is who I am. And then the devil says to us, do you know what? You're so dirty, you're only worth $100, He'll say, you've been misused. You're no good. And because you're so dirty, therefore, you're not worth much at all. But God, right? God, he knows our real value, and he knows our real potential and our worth. And regardless of how dusty or dirty or misused or abused we are, he looks at us and he says, you are worth $100,000. He knows our worth, and he knows our value. He sees us for who we've who we really are. So, this live insignificance, what does it look like in day-to-day -day life? Like I said before, I think it can look like a few things. I think it can feel like being un feeling unworthy and loved, unimportant. 
can make us feel empty and hopeless. It can cause us to really battle with insecurities and discouragement. Uh, I had a funny evening on Monday where I really battled. I shouldn't actually call it funny. It wasn't funny at all. Um, I had an evening of really battling with this lie of insignificance. This last Monday, Dan and I, we had put in our diaries that we were going to sit together and we were going to do some homeschool planning. So Dan and I have decided that um, regardless of whether schools open or not, that we are going to homeschool in this next season because we feel like it's best for our family. So during this last term, the boys' school has been sending homework for the kids to do at home, and, but that's going to end come September. So Dan and I have decided that um, I'm going to take the lead generally on that, um, but obviously he'll kind of feed into that. But yeah, I'll kind of be doing the day-to-day. So in these last few weeks, I've been spending a lot of time getting ready for the school year. Hours of planning and researching, listening to podcasts, trying to get myself ready and organized for this, which has been honestly quite a massive job. Um, Something to note here is that I'm not a trained teacher. So I work in education. I think many of you know that. Dan and I, we run an education um, ministry. But I, I manage the HR, I manage the finances, I make resources, I write policies, I'm, I'm the person behind the scenes that makes sure that the, the machine keeps going. I don't teach. I really have a passion for education, but I'm not the one in the classroom. Dan is a trained teacher. And not just that, Dan is a very good teacher. And not just that, Dan is such a good teacher that now he is a teacher of teachers, right? So Monday evening, many of you have been to our home, you'll know where our, our dining room table is. We sat down together and I kind of brought to him, showed, was showing him some of my ideas, my planning that I had um, put together. And, and I asked for his input. So Dan comes, right, with his training and his, um, his experience, his ideas, of which there are many, and his creativity, which is vast, And I, on the other hand, come with my lack of training and my lack of inexperience, and therefore, I also come with a massive amount of insecurity. It was big that evening. And so, right from the beginning, I'm feeling like my ideas probably aren't going to be great. I'm feeling like what I have to bring to this conversation, probably a bit unimportant, I already feel discouraged because I'm pretty sure that some of the planning I've done was probably just going to be discarded and was for nothing. Basically, I felt massively overwhelmed and discouraged. And I think it's important to note that I felt all of this before Dan said a word, right? Before he offered a single suggestion or idea, my insecurities were right here. And because of that, Any suggestion that he did have, or any idea that he did have, that he did offer, sounded unbelievably critical. It didn't sound like a contribution or an idea. It felt like he was speaking to my very heart, saying, you are rubbish, what you've done is awful, that it's no use at all, why are you even trying to do this, you don't have the training That's what I heard him say. It spoke right to my heart on all of those insecurities. Now, I probably don't have to tell you that evening of planning didn't go so well. Not very productive. And it didn't bring joy to either of us. 
And like I said, it is not because of anything that Dan said. It was me. Do you know, I was so listening to all of these lies of insignificance that I could not hear him properly. I could not hear him for what he was saying. I couldn't even hear his encouragement. Because when he would encourage me, I just felt like, oh, you're just saying that. Because it was all I could feel was all these lies. All I could hear were these lies. So see how insignificance can operate in our lives in day to day. Right? How it affects our relationship with God, but how it can also um, affect our relationships with other people. I think Moses was somebody in the Bible who seemed to struggle with this as well early on in his life. In Exodus 3 verse 4, God was calling Moses to serve him. God had chosen Moses, right, to to lead the Israelites out of slavery. Many of us are familiar with this story. So God gets Moses' attention through the burning bush, right, in a miraculous way. And he gives him instructions about how he's going to free the Israelites and use Moses in that process. But notice how Moses responds in Exodus 3 verse 11. He says, it says, but Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. So he's questioning, right, what God is saying. And God, he's very kind, and he reassures Moses that he's going to be with him all the way. So then God gives instructions to gather the Israelites and and let them know the plan, basically. So again, Moses, he questions in Exodus 4, verse 1, he says, What if they do not believe me or listen to what I say? Again, Moses, we hear his, his wrestle, right? He is unsure. He's unsure that he's the man for the job. Though God says he is, he's unsure. The word of God, right? Or is he standing with the word of God or the live insignificance? And yet God gives Moses very clear evidence, you know, that he is going to be with him and he's going to be journey this process with him. And then yet again, in Exodus 4 verse 10, I love this verse, because maybe because I can hear of myself in it so much. But Moses says, he says, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the time in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. He's like, even since the burning bush, I'm no better. For I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Again, we we see this wrestle in his heart and his mind, right? He feels like he cannot do it. He's assuming that he's unable. Though God has said that he'll give him all that he needs, he feels like he is unable. He feels like he can't speak properly. No one will listen. God's calling him to be a leader, and he's like, I do not have the leadership qualities to do this. I'm sure there's a sense of, there's a better person for the job. And again, doesn't this sound familiar, right? questioning who God says we are or who, what God has called us to. In this situation, we see that Moses, his insecurities were high, and I think his sense of value was low. And I think sometimes it's easy for God to speak things into our, word, into our lives, whether it's about who we are or what we're to do, and it's like, nope, that one is not for me. Yet it's God, our living God, our... our <laughs> Our majestic God, our God the Father, he is saying this. And I think sometimes we can miss out what God is wanting to do in us and through us because we believe this lie of insignificance. 
Now, Moses was a man who later saw God, right? Face to face, how he radiated the presence of God. His face glowed. I mean, man was God, um, sorry, Moses was a man who encountered the presence of God, isn't he? And also, um, Moses was such an incredible leader. I think one of the best examples of a wholehearted, godly leader who led over a long time. But I just wonder, what would have happened if Moses would have agreed with these lies of insignificance rather than the word of God over his life? And I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he would have fulfilled his calling if he would have agreed with the lies. And think of all that would have been robbed from Moses and his relationship with God, but also from the Israelites and those around him, right? If he would have agreed with the lie rather than moving ahead and believing and trusting the word of God. And I think this begs the question of what happens when we believe these exact same lies? What is lost when we agree with the liar rather than the word of God? What opportunities do we miss in our own lives to encounter God's presence and release his presence to those around us? What happens? John 8 verse 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. And John 10.10 says that he is the thief that that comes to steal, kill, and destroy all that he can. And you know, he does this to rob God of glory. But his plan, the method of the way that he does that, is by seeking to deceive us and distract us from the voice of God and the promises of God. So the more that we live in agreement with God, the more that we are filled with his spirit and his presence, and the more that we can give that away to others. So no wonder Satan makes it his mission to attack this because it's vitally important for us to know who we are as God's kids, to know who we are, who God says we are. So I think this issue of significance is closely related to identity. Do we identify with who God has made us to be? Because actually our identity, who we are, it anchors us. Our identity in God, it tells us who we are. I read this great, great quote in a book that I'm reading. It says, what consumes my thinking will be the making or the breaking of my identity. Are we filling our minds with the truth of who, of who we are, the word of God, what he says? Or are our minds filled with these lies of insignificance? It makes a big difference. Like me on Monday, right? My loving, wonderful husband encouraging me, and I couldn't hear any of it. Any of it. This has a big impact in our lives. And I think a secure identity in God, it enables us to to open our hearts to God more fully and have him fill us with his words and with his promises. And it enables us to live those out. Whereas somebody who feels insignificant finds it really hard, like I said, to hear these words. So rather than being rooted in truth, they get tossed around by the lies. But God, he says that you are loved. He says that you are valuable. He says that you are his treasured children. He says, says that each one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that he smiles over his, our lives, that he cares about us, 
that he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. He says that we have a mission. We've been commissioned to co-labor with him and expand God's kingdom. And you might be here this morning feeling like you can't identify with that, those truths that I've been saying. Because of your life experiences or your situations, you may be feeling deeply insignificant. You might feel like your future and your opportunities are limited. That who you are is not enough. But I want to encourage you this morning that God made you. God loves you. God says that you are important. That he wants relationship with you so that he can fill you with his presence. So that we can release that to those around us. That is who we are. Vitally important in the plans and the purposes of God. 